Hello and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Data, analytics, big data, data science, machine learning, customer insight, behavioral science, blockchain, data ops, data engineering, agile working, phew, too many terms, too many things to think about. Do you as a leader need somewhere to turn, to hear what other leaders are doing, to hear what really makes a difference in your business? Welcome. The Customer Insight Leader Podcast is here for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a different leader in the fields of customer insight, data, and analytics to hear what they really do, what really makes a difference. So settle down, get that cup of coffee, and enjoy the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast, a place to hear from today's leaders in the fields of customer insight, data, and analytics. I'm your host, Paul Lachlan, and with me today is Kanika Giganti. Kanika is the Chief Data Officer for Vitality UK, a leading health insurer, and she has a background in business intelligence and a postgrad diploma in strategy and innovation from Oxford University. We first met when at Kanika's request, I ran a workshop for some of the business intelligence community there at Vitality. So I'm delighted after a few years of conversation since then to have Kanika join me for today's conversation. Welcome Kanika. Thank you, Paul. And it's great to be here this morning chatting with you. Great. Thank you. Good to have you as a guest too. It's great to have someone with your CDO responsibility on the show actually, because I think you hear so much about that role these days. Perhaps you could kick us off by explaining um, what is the CDO role? What, what does a CDO at Vitality do these days? Sure. Uh, so, Paul, like you said, I think CDO roles have emerged uh, in different shapes and formats in different mm-hmm. organizations. I think there's a prevalence of CDO roles more in America than in the UK. But mm-hmm. now in the UK, CDO roles are emerging more than ever before. Mm. So at Vitality, uh, the CDO role has also gone through its journey and uh, the latest version of the CDO role, <laughs> what I do now is look after analytics and operational customer data, if I had to mm. summarize my roles and responsibilities at a high level. And what it means is I look after um, a data engineering team. So mm-hmm. uh, just to give you a bit more context, in Vitality, we've got a data engineering team uh, reporting into the CDO and we have the data science team reporting into the chief analytics officer who then reports into the chief actuary because uh-huh. insurance is full of clever actuaries as you know. <laughs> Indeed, I remember it well. <laughs> yeah, and actuaries have the right skills to then um, double up as data scientists. So that's the mm-hmm. model we have. So in my portfolio, I've got the data engineering role Uh, data engineering team. Uh, I've also got the business intelligence team. I look after data architecture, Mm -hmm. data governance, uh, and key customer data assets. What that means is if we have to understand what is a unique customer ID across Vitality UK, those Mm -hmm. assets then sit in my portfolio. So those team uh, report into me. So whether it's key customer attributes, uh, customer personal data, consent, uh, that then falls under 
key operational customer data assets. That's also part of my portfolio. So beyond data, I also look after CRM because anything to do with CRM requires uh, a lot of good customer data. Indeed. Both to uh, improve customer engagement and customer experience, but also to create that holistic end-to-end -end customer journey, a multi-channel, a cross-channel, whether it's voice, digital, hmm. um, or core systems. Uh, so, so my portfolio also includes CRM, and we are doing a rollout of Salesforce these days. So that's my portfolio in a nutshell, Paul. Great. Thank you very much, Kanika. Yeah, I hadn't thought about the evolving CDO role. There must be someone publishing the guide for CDO 2.0 any, any time now, I should imagine. I would think so, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Good, good explanation. Thank you. It, it, it strikes me that you're, you're kind of, I guess, before and after in the value chain, the data science function. You, you're obviously all the data architecture and data quality before, but there sounded to be quite a bit about execution and implementation in, in operational and CRM senses. So would you see yourself that way, that you've got teams working for you that are both before and after the more sophisticated analytics? That's quite an interesting way of putting it, uh, Paul. I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. We do get involved in preparing the data, ensuring that the data infrastructure is uh, correct and um, in a way set up that is accessible to our data scientists or our operational analytics teams. Mm -hmm. uh, the data engineering function then also gets involved in operationalizing those data science models. Mm -hmm. So while we all know that data science models have huge capabilities uh, of changing the business, but if you don't operationalize those data, data science models, I think the reach of the outputs is limited. So what yeah. my data engineering team then does is deploys it on our um, in-house machine learning platform and also writes the APIs to operationalize the outputs so that wow. they are then feeding back into whether they are our online assets or CRM assets or uh, just customer facing assets. So, so I think you're spot on in that observation. Thank, thank, thank you, Kanika. Yeah, I, and I completely concur with the importance of what you've just described. I think I, I've lost count probably of how many data science leaders I've talked to who've said, if I had my time again, I'd recruit more data engineers, or most of my time is spent on the implementation execution challenges. Operationalizing, it seems to be a tougher challenge than building a highly tuned model. And most of the barrier seems to be getting it out there implemented in a way that works. It is, that's right. And I think data engineering is also quite a recent practice. I think data science, if I were to compare data science and data engineering, data science is now older compared to data engineering. Mm -hmm. And as the data science practice has matured in organizations and in industries, there's a growing realization that unless you have the data engineering practice, you'd not be able to utilize those exciting, clever data science models yeah. as effectively as you can. Yeah, absolutely, completely agree. Okay, um, a broad, I'm sure quite challenging portfolio of responsibilities there, Kanika. Um, your, your background, I think you went back to UBS at, at one point, so have definitely been on the, um, the more sort of traditional side of, of financial services and investments. The, 
how have you got to where you are today? To, lots of the people listening to this podcast might be a bit earlier in their careers, keen to have that very successful um, career journey to reach the, the upper echelons of a CDO like yourself. Um, tell us a bit about your career journey. How have you got there? It's quite an interesting question, Paul. Uh, so what I do now in my CDO role is to ensure that we utilize data uh, properly and effectively to enable business strategy. Mm. And that is my role, to make sure that we are using the right data at the right time, in the right way, to enable uh, business growth, uh, mm. operational efficiencies, or innovation. You know, Vitality mm. is a hugely innovative organization. Yes. We are constantly innovating. And uh, as a result, we're creating a whole lot of data. I think velocity and variety of data uh, is really, really relevant for us on a day-to-day -day basis. So my role currently is to enable those business strategy through the use of data. Now, for that, you need a, a few different skills because, as you know, uh, Paul, being in the data industry, that uh, data leader performs many different roles. Indeed. It's not. It's not a technologist alone or mm. business strategist alone. It's Absolutely. a mix of all these different uh, roles and responsibilities that, that wrap up into the CDO role. Mm. And I, just looking back at my journey, I have been very fortunate to live and work in five different countries, mm. uh, work in different industries, whether it's um, insurance, financial services, healthcare, mm. uh, retail, manufacturing. Uh, I have played different roles, whether it's consulting or being part of in-house IT groups or business groups. Mm. Uh, but I think what set me up for this was actually my undergraduate degree, which was many decades ago. <laughs> and I didn't realize it at the time, but it's when you look back and you connect the dots. My undergraduate mm. degree was an integrated engineering and management degree. What it gave me was... Uh, a great insight into all the nuts and bolts and the technical aspects and the engineering aspects of the world. Yeah. But what also then it gave me are complementary skills because through the management degree, I was able to understand uh, the business aspects of the world. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we did courses like on one side, we were doing courses like linear algebra and optimization techniques. On the other yeah. side, we were doing courses like uh, corporate finance, uh, organizational strategies. So mm. it gave me, I think, complementary skills mm. right at the outset of my career. Uh, nice. So that was, I think, the starting point. Mm. Yeah, no, no, nice. I can see how much that kind of probably accelerated you toward that hybrid role quite early. Uh, probably like myself, you've been doing a hybrid role sort of before it was fashionable. Uh, you're right. And when I started my first job, uh, it helped me um, accelerate into team leader and project managers and team managers positions mm -hmm. quite rapidly. Mm -hmm. um, and again, like I said, you don't realize it at the time, but the foundational blocks are just so important. Uh, yeah. Once you have that, you can then build upon that. I then moved on to, I, I started my career in India. I grew up in India. I then moved on to America. Uh, found a job there, set up their BI warehouse. It was a healthcare management company. Right. From US, we came back to India uh, 
and I was working for a, a company that was a spin-off of Citicorp. Uh, through various uh, roles, uh, I think it just gave me the opportunity to work in different environments mm -hmm. uh, with different people, with organizations, big or small. And it just gave me that adaptability and agility to yeah. work with people, whether it's business or IT or risk functions. Mm. Um, and I think that helped me a lot uh, to learn and grow as individual. Uh, the other thing that I found was, again, this is just an inherent trait where at every stage I have then learned more. Um, mm. And if you look at my um, uh, CV or my LinkedIn profile, you'll always find that every two or three years I've I've done either in executive education or yeah. some sort of a, a online course. Mm. And that also has helped me stay relevant and current because, as you know, Paul, the technology uh, landscape is changing on an hourly basis. So you have to keep on top of that. Indeed, yeah, and I completely um, applaud and support that commitment to CPD, Kaniko. I think it's, it's so important for all types of leaders in this field. I'm struck, though, maybe more uniquely than I've heard with other guests on this podcast, you reference a couple of times to how you've worked in different countries. Now, travel seems a bit of a luxury at the moment that I can just about remember. But um, what do you think you learned through that? I, I, of, I often hear leaders who will cite the benefits of having done different types of jobs or worked in different sectors, but not so many who've worked as diversely as you internationally. Do you think you benefited a lot by working in other countries? I think I did. Mm. And what it taught me was that there, there are a couple of things that were uh, quite um, interesting in that uh, journey of mine. Sure. One was there are different cultures in different countries. There are different ways of working. Uh, across countries, whether it's uh, India or America or the Middle East or the UK or mm. Japan, the cultures are different. Mm. But I think at the end of the day, the motivations are the same. As human beings, we all strive to uh, be to the sense of belonging that we want with an organization. Our mm. value sets are so important. Mm. And and the matching of values between individuals and organizations is absolutely at the heart of an organizational success and individual success. So there are some values and traits that are just common across uh, countries and organizations. The other thing I learned is, uh, and, and it's a, it's a well-known saying that um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> If it, and it's not about diversity of culture, but it's about organizational cultures. And if you don't have the right culture in the organization, mm. if you don't have the right fit in the organization, you can have the most sophisticated strategy, but it'll fail. And yes. these are just some uh, characteristics that are common across uh, the world. Yes, yes, yes. No, I can see that. Thank you. That, 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 that's useful to hear and have that commonalities as well as differences I, I, I can see has has given you quite a strong learning experience in that amount of uh, travel I'm, I'm struck by your reference toward the importance of culture twice Kanika as well that 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 makes good sense um, so feel free to go back there if that's that's how you feel in response to this question but I was going to ask you what you think the most important challenge that leaders like you face is so you've obviously already referenced culture matters 
if you're going to achieve what you're trying to achieve as a CDO, what are the biggest challenges you face? Uh, I think culture was is one of them. And uh, if you don't get the right culture in the organization, in the team, uh, then you are uh, bound to fail. The mm. other the other challenge we have, not just as a CDO, but I think uh, as any leader, uh, is to have the right people in the right jobs and yeah. align the roles and responsibilities to individual motivations. And how do you get that balance right? Because mm. again, it's not about technology. You can get the uh, most advanced technology, but if you've got uh, a very clever person performing uh, the wrong role, yeah. then the team are bound to fail. So it's about getting the right balance between people's aspirations, mm. alignment to the organization values, and getting the right culture. I think that's the biggest challenge we have as leaders. Okay, okay. Good, good answer as well. And I think it reflects how much you've got a depth of thinking about um, management and organizations in, in your, your academic and your work background. I'm, You've you referenced now a couple of times this alignment, if you like, alignment of values people have got with the, the organisation and alignment of the right people in the right roles. How do you achieve that alignment? I'm interested whether you've got any particular tips you'd pass on as to how you make sure that you build this culture with aligned values or you get the right people in the right roles so that the mix works. Um. It's always it's a tough uh, question, Kanika. It is a <laughs> it is a tough question, and I'm trying to think of an example to bring it to life. Hmm. Um, it's always uh, an ongoing balance to strike because when you're hiring somebody new, and I'll go back to something that you had said in one of our conversations, Paul, that uh, your observation is that when it comes to data science. Uh, the uh, average age is lower as compared to data management functions. Mm. Because mm. in the data management functions, you need that intrinsic business knowledge that people who have spent a lot of time in the organization have. Mm. Mm. So, so there's, a, there's a balance between how do you make sure that people who have been with an organization for a very long time are also motivated and are aligned to the core values of the organization, but also to the changing needs of the world. Yeah. And it's easy to, I think, align values uh, of an individual when you're hiring them uh, new, when they're coming into the organization new, because I think your recruitment process and uh, the interview process would support that. And we do that actively. We, we make sure that when we are having conversations with people who, uh, for newer roles, uh, we uh, very, very consciously and actively make them aware of the values and the culture of vitality. Right. Um, and we do that fit analysis. Uh, some people uh, may not find it the right place to work. Some mm -hmm. people may love it. People like me who love <laughs> and thrive on change and innovation. Yeah. Uh, so when you're um, recruiting somebody new, I think it's easier to do that uh, analysis and the alignment review. It's more difficult when you are trying to uh, align people who have been in different roles yeah. to 
a newer organizational structure. Because again, given the rapid uh, evolution of the corporate world, uh, I mean, COVID is a great example, right? Where people had, businesses have had to change their business models. Indeed. How do you then make sure that people who have been with you and have added so much value to the organization already Mm -hmm. are also feeling uh, safe and secure and Mm -hmm. continue to add value? And I think that's where you have to review the roles and the capabilities and the skills very, very closely to say, hey, maybe you need to improve these skills. Maybe you need to slightly tweak this role this way, or maybe this person needs to move into a different role. So there are different things that has to be done for people who have been with the organization for a long time versus when you're recruiting new people. Yeah, good. Useful answer. Thank you, Kanika. And thank you for bringing out that difference. I can recall back over my leadership career as well, the amount of times that I learned that it was on the whole better to tweak the role to get the best out of the person than to stick rigidly to it must be like this. And I'll try and change this person to be a different person. Often it is better to uh, get the best out of some of the experienced, valuable people you've got who may be a particular shape, shall we say, and certain things won't won't suit them as well exactly okay uh, now you've you've mentioned before and obviously someone with my kind of services is delighted to hear it your commitment to cpd and, and continued learning um, i'm interested what that means for your team do you have plans to develop your team this year do you have a constant sort of cpd uh, emphasis with them uh, yes we do um uh, again when it comes to uh, the technology aspects. I think there are two aspects, right? You've got the okay. technology aspects and you've got the soft skill aspects. And yeah. uh, Paul, that's how I think uh, we started our conversations because yes, you provide that valuable soft skill training mm. to anal- analysts mm. uh, and uh, data leaders as well. Yeah. Uh, what we find is when it comes to um, technical aspects, there are just so many things out there that provide. Uh, online training uh, unlike earlier days where you had to go for a classroom training uh, we, we rely a lot on um, online training uh, whether it's um, uh, Udemy or whether it's uh, some of the other training platforms sure. uh, so my team use online training uh, a lot mm-hmm. uh, I think everybody is using a lot of YouTube these days uh, <laughs> outside of a formal training environment Uh, But there are, I think, uh, formal training uh, platforms that we have rolled out within the organization as well for to support that online training so that people are able to uh, fit the training uh, uh, requirement uh, alongside their day to day work. And Mm -hmm. and I think it's, again, not taking people away for almost a week, 10 days for training, but allowing them to manage their own training in their own way. So we are doing that. Uh, we've got an internal uh, learning and development team who roll out a lot of the softer skills trainings, okay. whether it's presentation skills or stakeholder management. Mm-hmm. And there are different trainings for uh, different uh, types of people. So if you're a manager, you'll be uh, uh, provided uh, a set of different options, whereas if you are uh, a team member, then I think your motivations are different and sure. hence you would like different types of trainings. So our internal L&D team provide a lot of that as well. 
Okay, thank you. That's that, that's good to hear. Actually, the, the investment in both sides. I'm glad about the awareness of that. And uh, yeah, I, I wish you well continuing in that. I know that with my online training offerings, it's been uh, an interesting learning curve to make online as effective as classroom, as you put it, because it's getting to the same level of interactivity, the same opportunity for people to get up from their desks equivalently yeah. <laughs> and have exercises and interaction and get the benefit of the other wisdom in the room, not just the trainer. There's, there's all sorts of things that it, it takes a while to finesse. I think it's a, definitely a, a growing skill, hopefully, in the business community, managing to make online training really effective. Absolutely. And I think that's such a crucial point when it comes to softer skills training, mm -hmm. right? Because when you're doing a training on a, a Python language or a mm -hmm. NIFA, uh, mm -hmm. you can sit at your desk and do that training. But when it comes to softer skills, I think that classroom participation is so key. Yeah. And that interaction and the uh, give and take with the, uh, with the trainer, um, I think that's so key. And it'll be interesting to see how uh, online training will will provide those uh, facets. Yes, 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 I agree. I think it's we're, we're still all learning together and different things will evolve. Okay, um, one other thing I wanted to um, bring us back to was my reference earlier to the fact that I'm aware that a number of listeners to this podcast and readers of the blog, actually, are a bit earlier in their career. Seems to be a fairly sort of balanced audience of quite experienced people and people um, quite early in their career. For those who are earlier in their career and they may be thinking about a data career or maybe a, a lofty aspiration at some point to be a CDO, any tips you give them now with your own hindsight? If you're starting off, what do you recommend to people? Um, so I think it's quite important for people to, uh, people in the data uh, career to have a mix of uh, technical and business skills. So yeah. while in, in the earlier part of your career, uh, it's important to have uh, the technical skills. Uh, I think later on, when you want to get into more managerial or leadership roles, mm. that's when the business skills and the stakeholder management skills become uh, more important than the technical skills. Yeah. So people who are starting off in the career, I would say, uh, just make sure that uh, you uh, get the right um, foundations so whether it's uh, getting the right degree uh, doing the right courses uh, yeah. like maths and statistical analysis mm. doing the right projects doing the right internships mm. um, and, I, and I think the, the whole uh, digital world online world has changed the nature of the game you can reach out to so many people yes. uh, there are just so many different ways of uh, making sure that you've got the right foundations now it's it's just amazing uh, I think that the newer generation has uh, 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 unlike earlier generations where uh, data professionals were typically introverts yeah I think the newer generation if I can say the TikTok and the Instagram generation is not does not feel as inhibited as the earlier generations would do I think presentation skills uh, may not be such a challenge for them. And, right. And, and some shy introverts me, like us. <laughs> yes. And, and somebody told me that the reason being these kids grow up in front of a camera because the parents are constantly posing an iPhone or a, oh, right. an Android device. 
capturing yeah. every single moment of their lives. So they are used to growing up in front of a camera. So I think that softer skill is already taken care of, Paul. That's a very interesting, I've ne- never heard it, it makes complete sense, but I've never heard it, someone articulate it that way. So yeah, it's a good point. Um, gosh, I, I, I've forgotten what I was going to say. I was so in, in, engaged <laughs> with, with that part of the conversation. Oh, I know. Um, yes, no, thank you for emphasising the business side as well. And I think I'd, I'd even make a call out myself toward the importance of that, even while you're doing that more, maybe junior analyst or, or learning your trade as a, as a data scientist, because... I see when I go in and train in organizations, the amount that end up benefiting from me training them in commercial awareness or training them to have a better understanding of the business's strategy and priorities so that the domain knowledge, as I call it, that they need for their analysis work is really there robustly and they don't make irrelevant recommendations or misinterpret the data by purely looking at it as a maths and stats problem without understanding the business context. I think that that's pretty often that I come across that actually. So I'm glad you've called out the importance of business and context understanding early on as well. That's really, really key. You're right, Juan. Okay, great. Well, we we come toward the final question. Thank you very much for your time. This has been a very interesting conversation, Kanika. Thank you. I'm One question that I've asked almost every leader, I think, probably as many times as I've asked people about their their career journeys, is is a question I stole. There's a podcast I absolutely love called Coaching for Leaders by a guy called Dave Stahoviak. And he fairly often asks guests to give him an example of something they've changed their mind on in the last few years. And I love this as a question because of what you expressed earlier, Kanika. It's important that we're constantly learning and we're willing to let go of things as well as, you know, again, new things. So let me give you that question. Could you give us an example of something you've changed your mind on in the recent times, last few years, say? Uh, if I can take, give two examples, uh, Paul, please, please do. that's Even okay. <laughs> <laughs> so one is, uh, I think something we talked about earlier in our conversation, it's, mm. it's the fact that, uh, the data engineering practice is also very key alongside the data science practice. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think a few years ago, till about a few years ago, I thought uh, having a data science practice is enough. But I've realized that uh, you need a data engineering practice. So I've changed my mind about that. Okay. Uh, but more importantly, I think what I've changed my mind about is my own uh, people management style. Okay. And... I say that because I think till about um, some time ago, I used to think uh, you can uh, apply the same uh, value model on uh, the entire team. So Hmm. I was of the opinion that if you've got, since I think, you know, often uh, organizations have performance metrics, as an example. You've got some uh, KPIs defined for the entire team Mm. that then gets disseminated into uh, individual team member level um, for as their performance metrics. Mm. Uh, And and you would think that based on that framework, it would be one size fits all. (laughs) But what I have changed my mind about, and we touched upon this topic um, in one of the questions, is you can't motivate everyone with the same um in the same way 
different people have different motivations. Yeah. So you have to adapt your style mm. to provide the right empowerment and support as needed to your team members. You can't either empower everyone the same way or you can't support everyone the same way. So I've changed my, I've learned through my, um, uh, throughout my career that mm. you can't just apply the same principle of the same thing fits all. Uh, you have to provide empowerment to people who want to be empowered. Uh, you need to provide support to people who don't want to be empowered because you would think that they want to be empowered, but they don't. So, so that's, that's what I've changed my mind about, that you have to have a different approach to individuals, and that's the key to the success of a team. Great. Great tip and very, very much impractical experience. I'd echo that as well. Thank you very much, Kanika. Thank you for your time today. It's been really good to talk to you. Um, and um, I'm sure listeners will appreciate all that you've shared as well. Thank you, Kanika. Thank you, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Great. And thank you also for listening. I hope you found that helpful and continue to listen to the Customer Insight Leader podcast. More great interviews coming up. And each week, there's fresh content on our blog, customerinsightleader, or oneword.com. So you might want to check that out too. Before then, thanks again for your time. Have a good week and stay safe.